coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. You've got to involve them early on in the in the software selection process. I mean, the way I got into SAP is I was brought in as an independent to a client to help them through a software selection process. And this is back in the early 90s. And we were went through several deals, but we had every department involved. And, and all we did was guide them through the process. And they actually made the decision. And we had a real high acceptance rate at that client, even though it wasn't a client that was that the departments always worked real well together, mm-hmm. but people just want, I think that people just want to know that their voice is being heard yeah, and then see how it can benefit them. Yeah. And if you've got issues where people are really pushing back, I hate to say it, but sometimes you have to wonder if there's a reason they're pushing back. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we took, we took, we rolled out to some plants at one company and I won't mention names obviously, but as we rolled out to one plant, we found out there was some, a lot of fraud going on at that plant because now they had views into that plant and what was happening at the plant. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Warren Norris, who is the managing partner of Titan Consulting. So Titan Consulting helps people that are running the SAP platform to integrate new functionality into their system. So a lot of digital transformation, a lot of change management, basically integrating technology into companies is what Warren's company does. Uh, So we get into a lot of the things that you should be on the lookout for when you're thinking about going down one of these digital transformation paths. Uh, and there's there's various different different types, and when we get into a couple of different ones that uh, Warren's company deploys. But you know, again, just managing that process, managing the expectation with your current staff is incredibly, incredibly important because a lot of times, you know, people get, you know, they they can be uh, a little bit overwhelmed with you know, all types of change and we've always done it this way and now we're going to introduce a new way of doing things and there can be pushback with that. And we actually get into to some of the stories about why some of that pushback, you know, potentially could be there. You know, a lot of it, obviously, people don't want to expose maybe some of the things that they've been doing or hiding or, or anything along those lines throughout the years. So really, really interesting path and, and process that Warren has integrated and brought into many, many, many different types of companies. So they service some of the Fortune 500, even even 100 clients. So they, they handle very, very large accounts. So really interesting when you start getting into those size companies and all of the different nuances that those size companies tend to have. So we get into all of those those different stories. But with that, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce with Warren Norris. I lived the first several years with my mom and my grandmother. My mother was a single mom. 
she got married when I was four, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then he adopted me shortly after that. So, you know, when we when we ate dinner as a family, you know, we all it, we were lower middle class. I mean, it was we'd talk about the day we'd watch. Mm-hmm. We had a little 12 inch black and white that we'd watch Happy Days on and talk about the day. Yeah. Nothing super exciting. There were times of the year where we were in sports and I had a younger sister and people were running different ways. And then as I got older, my dad taught school and taught at a college in the evening Mm -hmm. and so you know sometimes it was rushed for him to get home eat and get back out to teach yeah yeah now were you were you exposed to any type of entrepreneurialism you know as a as a younger person so i was exposed a couple different ways my dad worked for the treasury department and um technology there and he actually back in the early 80s created the software package to do tax planning. This okay. is back before you had uh, TurboTax and some of that stuff out. Yeah. And he sold and just threw bulletin boards and some stuff like that. So I saw that. That was not his full-time job, obviously. Yeah. But he always had done different stuff to make extra money. When we were, when I was very young, he'd buy used cars, fix them up, resell them oh, wow. in the evening because we were always... At that point, you're always trying to make, you know, we were in a situation where he's always trying to figure out a way to make money. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, that's interesting. So did he, I mean, it sounds like he had an eclectic skill set, right? I mean, he could work on cars. He had some type of programming background in that. I mean, did he, Did how did he learn all of those different things? Well, so when him and, so my mother had me very young. She was 18 and they got married when she was, he had been in the Navy and had gotten out and neither one of them had a degree so they they both worked for as civilians at an air force base mm-hmm. and he was an aircraft mechanic so he was a mechanic from that and then he put himself through school you know they taught me early on that education was important i saw my dad go through and get his bachelor's degrees in computer science back before that was wow. a, a big deal i think he graduated in 74 or so yeah and then i saw my mom get a degree in accounting and then my dad went back and got his master's and my mom went back and got her master's so they were always in school Uh, somebody was always in school until i was probably 16 or 17. yeah yeah and did you follow that that same path too did you end up going to school as well yes i did i went to a local school north texas and did a degree in a kind of a double major program they had at the time in accounting and mit and it Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it BCIS, but it's essentially MIS. And then later, I went back to SMU and got my graduate degree. Very cool. Very cool. Is the the company that you have currently the first company that you started, or did you have other things that you started before that? So I was coming out of school. I went to work for a mortgage software company uh, that was owned by a mortgage company. And then I had a left there, went to work for another company where I was developing in-house sales systems and stuff like that. And then I worked for a large ERP company as a consultant. And then when I left there, I left there right after we had our first child, uh, partly because I was on the road five days a week and I didn't want to miss everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but I had a buddy of mine that brought me in to start a technology practice at his company and gave me a small ownership in that company. And we grew that practice from five consultants whenever I came on to 180 in about 15 months. Wow. Um, wow. And we sold, I, again, I had a small percentage ownership. 
I stayed on to help run it for a couple of years. And then I actually did not start this company. Some friends of mine started this company. I was under a non-compete at the time. Mm -hmm. So during my non-compete, I did real estate development, real estate investment. I did some VC consulting for a couple of companies, helping them get VC money in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And then joined these guys uh, when my non-compete was up. Interesting. And, and what types of uh, real estate did you invest in? Were you? Well, so we did, we did, a, we developed a couple neighborhoods. I mean, where we went in with the dirt and put in lots. And then I would actually participate with a couple builders to help finance the construction of some houses. Wow. And then we did some, uh, we did a condo complex down by SMU, a small one. Yeah. Um, actually, that one was interesting. I was down there watching the had 10 trucks lined up to pour concrete on 9-11 when the towers fell. Oh, so wow. Hindsight would have been, I probably should have sent the concrete trucks home and just yeah. <laughs> left the real estate like it was because that was a rough, rough few years trying yeah, to do that yeah. product. It's always funny. You always remember where you are, you know, when, when 9-11 yeah. uh, happened. So yeah. interesting. So what, what you start or you came into the partnership with that you're in now, what drew you to that partnership? What was, was there, obviously you had a background in, you know, the IT side of things. Was there anything else that said, yeah, you know, these guys are onto something or what, what was the draw there? Well, so I knew all these guys, most of them had worked for me at a previous company and I'd actually introduced some of them. Okay. One of them was a cousin of mine that actually helped start the company. And he actually, a friend of his is the one that funded the company. So the thought was I would probably join it at some point when they started it, just didn't know when Yeah. Uh, due to my non-compete. But, you know, so it was in the same industry I'd been in for, I've been in the same, working with the same ERP package since uh, 93. So okay. just, it's a very, it's a very large world, but everybody seems to know each other. So yeah. it's an easy industry to stay in once you get in there. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, so what types of verticals do you guys serve primarily? A lot of manufacturing, retail, uh, consumer packaged goods, some pharmaceuticals, oil and gas. We don't do, we have chosen not to participate a whole lot in the public sector or, um, that's the primary industry we probably don't service. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 and you, you mentioned, uh, obviously, it sounds like you focus in on, you know, larger, larger opportunities, you know, more problems, more issues. Are there any, you know, certain defining things that you would say that, you know, these are the types of problems that we would help solve? So we, we like to work with clients where we can actually be seen more as a partner versus a, a vendor. Okay. And we have clients that are very small, you know, um, very small, meaning they're probably 250 to 500 million dollars a year all the way up to big fortune 100 companies yeah it all depends on the relationship we can have with that company because uh, we're looking for ways to you know our favorite work to do projects is what i call high roi projects so projects that may only be three to six months but show huge roi helping to get them get more out of their current technology investment not necessarily having to go out and buy, you know, three more software packages yeah. to get yeah. something to work. So we have clients that, that have been with us. We believe in customer for life. We treat our clients. Well, one of my mentors, a guy named John Lee said early on to me that, you know, happy consultants make happy clients. Mm -hmm. So you treat your consultants, right. You tend to have happy clients. So yeah. he was probably one of my best mentors for 
leadership and how to treat people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the consultants, these are people that you're basically building relationships with that might have, you know, connections into your end clients business. Correct. Is that, is that right? No, typically we would have the relationship with the client. And then we, we've, we've also had the relationship with the consultant and then we match the two. I see. Um, I see. A lot of these consultants, some of these consultants that work for us have worked for me at, at all the way back to 94, 95 when I was okay. uh, a VP at that other company. So, yep, yep. So some of them I've known for a long time. We kind of specialize in the more senior consultants. One of the other things John Lee used to always, John Lee's from Houston and he had a lot of little sayings. One of his was, you know, one, uh, one riot, one ranger. So, you know, if you get senior consultants, they can get a lot more done than a group of junior consultants. So, yeah. Uh, we yeah. tend to focus more on the senior guys. That makes sense. That makes sense. When you identify a new opportunity or a new client, I guess you can say, what stands out to you about them? How, how do you know that they would be somebody who you would be able to, to help? Well, we maybe it's a little bit of confidence, but we believe we can help any client that uses SAP, which is the primary software package we work with. Yeah. Whether we actually fit in with their culture or whether they have whether it's the right time, you don't know, but we try to maintain that relationship. Yeah. You know, we, we do a lot of education. So we publish a lot of white papers that we give to prospects and clients. And we've had, I mean, we've had prospects that we've stayed in touch with for five years before they turn into clients. Yeah. It's yeah. about persistence and, and just waiting for the right opportunity. Um, yeah. You know, we actually, were able to seed or sow some of the seeds that we had laid during COVID, during the lockdown with clients that we hadn't done business with that turned into or prospects that we hadn't worked with that turned into clients during COVID, mm-hmm. which was fortunate because obviously we couldn't get out and meet new prospects during that yeah. time. And and what did the COVID situation, what, what type of impact did it have on your your customers' businesses that then made them realize that, hey, you know what, we need help you in in this more technology space. I mean, I, I guess maybe the question is is you know did did COVID contribute to that you know that mindset with customers where they may not have been a customer before, but because of what we were all going through at the time, did that you know propel them into you know reaching out to to you know say hey we need help with you know these different these different problems that we're having. Right. Um. So a, a couple steps. Take a step back. You know, uh, Titan has survived kind of three major crisis inflection points. And they started on July, 2001. Mm-hmm. They had a group of consultants, 9-11 hit, consultants didn't fly. So, you know, people canceled projects, et cetera. Um, then built back up, had the financial crisis of 08, which I think, it, which clients handled that differently. It was a low, it was a very long, slow, bleeding process seemed mm-hmm. like 08 the financial crisis was when COVID hit clients reacted very quickly mm-hmm. they initially canceled most projects a lot of clients did or put them on hold but that allowed them I think to reassess and then come back stronger and quicker as a result of moving quickly on that yeah. and they are looking at you know obviously that has shown clients that you've got to digitize you've got to automate stuff when you can you know, simple stuff like we have a client that couldn't figure out how to get contracts signed because nobody was in the office. So they had to integrate in a, a DocuSign solution with SAP. 
yeah. as part of that project. To, you know, a lot of what we're doing now is simplification projects where we're taking the product and we're putting a, uh, using a low code product, Mendex, putting front ends on it to simplify it so that the learning curve isn't as high. Okay. Product. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of Mindex. What, what exactly is is Mindex a, a, a coding language, or what? What exactly? Yeah, it's a low code platform. It's uh, owned by Siemens uh, okay. Nixdorf out of uh, Germany, and it's what a long time ago we used to call fourth generation languages. <laughs> they don't call it that anymore. They call it low code, no code, where you actually design your screen. It generates the code for you in the background. Oh, um, interesting. And then you use flowcharts for any type of decision trees and stuff like that. So. You know, you're able to develop, we've shown that we can develop stuff, you know, anywhere from four to eight times faster using it. Yeah. And it actually provides a better UI for the client. Interesting. Interesting. Are there any types of projects or, or things that you wouldn't necessarily suggest trying to, to use Mindex or, or SAP for? Like, are there, are there certain jobs that, you know, yes, this is a perfect fit and, you know, this is probably not a good fit for it. Yeah. On the Mendex side, yeah, there have been. So we're very honest with clients, you know, because again, it's a customer for life mentality. So we've had SAP prospects that we've been brought into and we've told them it wasn't the right solution for them, or at least not with the, the uh, resources they were talking about doing it with, yeah. um, that they wouldn't be successful. So we didn't feel like they'd be successful. So there are times when we have walked away from business because bad business is never good business. Yeah, um, yeah. And again, we're trying to, you know, our very first client is still a client of ours. The only clients we've lost are either because of acquisitions or because we chose to not do business with them anymore because of something they did that yeah. we feel like did not fit in with our culture. Yeah. Yep. So, so you, you, you mentioned like the resources that they're willing to provide. Is that uh, obviously money is in that? Is that, you know, personnel or support, you know, on their end? Are those some of the things that sort of distinguish, is this job going to be successful or not? Yeah. So we had uh, one prospect, this was a few years ago, who wanted to bring up the full, you know, soup to nuts, SAP, in uh, three countries, including supply chain management, HR payroll, and they were going to do it in, in nine months. Yeah. Uh, and it was a very complicated business, even though they weren't a great big business and it just, and they weren't willing to, they were, they were not going to assign anybody to the project. They just wanted a consulting Sorry. firm to come in and, and do it and hand it over. And that's not what we like to do. We like to work in conjunction with the client, do knowledge transfer. Yeah. We want them to be able to support it when we leave. Yeah. Yeah. And typically how long does a project take? Let's, you know, say that it's a complicated project. What, what type of timeline are you typically looking at? Would you say? A lot of, I mean, we'd like to get projects. So what I would have done in that case is I would have split this thing into multiple projects. Cause I think yeah. six to nine month projects are a good timeline for a project and, and it should have been in multiple phases. So we, we prefer this, you know, three to nine month phase projects. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to figure out how to break it up and so that it makes sense. And maybe that's bringing up a financial footprint first and then rolling out logistics by plant or something like that. Yep. Yep. And, and typically how many people would you, you know, need 
to include from the customer's side of view or side of the, the table typically, would you say? Well, I'd like to have, depending on how many consultants are on it, anywhere between 50 to 100% of, you know, either one client to one consultant. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. Down to half a client to one consultant. Okay. Okay. Um, and depending on the, if it's just a rollout or a simple project, then it doesn't have to be as, as much. But if it's a new client, then we find that part time involvement many times means no time. Yeah. So because their their normal job gets in the way and they can't spend any time. So we like to have full time. Yeah. So, involvement. so you need yes, yeah, so you need a de dedicated person from their company that basically this is what they're doing is they're you know kind of the the conduit if you will from the company to 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 your developers or to yeah. your to your team and that's the way the client's going to be most successful because now they can support it going forward yeah versus having to continue to pay out consulting fees for eternity yep yep yeah so, so they, that like I, that makes sense so that yeah so they actually take over the the ownership of of everything. Right. Um, what are some of the challenges would you say that most companies seem to run into over and over again when they're looking to to integrate some type of technology solution? A lot of times it is getting business buy-in. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a big deal if it's an IT driven project. Some some clients the IT does not have the same respect from the business. So um, it's got to be a joint effort and everybody's got to have buy-in. That's probably one of the biggest deals. And that would be under change management and some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you guys typically have change management teams integrated in with this as well, or, or, you know, in the fold with this whole rollout, or is that, you know, really fall on the shoulders of that, you know, of that main consultant or that main contact with the client? So we, we would, we like to work in conjunction with the client on the change management. We can provide some guidance and stuff like that. But yeah. we have found that the clients, the users are more accepting when it's their internal people that are working with them on change management. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And so like early on when we're doing prototypes and stuff, you know, you do, you know, our consultants can get up there and demo the prototypes to the users, but it's usually better received if it's the actual client, you know, yeah. that person assigned the team actually doing the demo with the support of our consultant in the background. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Did, um, do you ever run into situations where a company has such a complicated process? And, and, and again, I don't know if, I, I guess this is probably more if they don't necessarily have SAP as a platform already, but if, if they're trying to create a, a, a platform that was based off of 
you know, maybe a bunch of Excel spreadsheets that were being put together, a bunch of these other, you know, systems that are, you know, this department might be doing it this way, this department might be using a completely different software. Do you ever have any issues with, uh, you know, coming into a situation like that where there doesn't, there isn't necessarily one path that anything takes. There might be different ways that different things are being done in different departments. And if so, how do you manage and, and kind of bring all of that together to, to, you know, get everybody talking the same language and bring them all together in, in one platform? Yeah, and I think the key point on that is that you can't, you can't base your future system off of your legacy system. Mm -hmm. Your future system has to be based on your business processes. And, you know, I had a client, this is back when I was at SAP, I had a client who we were bringing a, them up on SAP for the first time, and they had a list of 100 reports they wanted that they used to get out of their legacy system, and they wanted the reports generated out of SAP to the, they even wanted the same report ID up in the top yeah. left-hand corner. And, yeah. you know, we tried to tell them you don't need these because that's not how the most efficient way to do it once you go to this new system. And we ended up generating reports for them. We had another client who, smaller client, we're working at a higher level in the client. We're working with the plant manager and we were actually upgrading them. They had a list of reports. I went to her and I said, and she was a very bright lady who had a lot of respect from the user community. And I said, identify a couple, you know, the reports you really think are critical. Yeah. If they're not critical, then let's not upgrade them. We can upgrade them after the fact if people come to you and say they really need them. Yeah. But I, what you're going to find is that people aren't using those reports as much yeah. as they really think they are. And we can show them how to get the same data more efficiently without having to create this overhead of these reports. We have to upgrade every time we upgrade. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so, and, and the stakeholders in the company didn't have any pushback because, you know, maybe half of the stack of reports that they got before, you know, all of a sudden disappeared. Do they, do they, I mean, obviously there probably was some pushback, but did you ever end up having to create them at all? We had to recreate a couple of the reports, but yeah. most of them did not because what we found out is, and what she suspected all along is that the reports weren't being utilized. They were just what people were used to getting. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like the whole story. I mean, the, old story of you know the the person that cuts the end off the ham before they put it in the pan for christmas and somebody asked them why they did it and they had they said i don't know that's what my mom always did so they went yeah. to her mom and found out the pan was small that's the reason she did it i mean so <laughs> I, i've never heard weird. that analogy before that's funny though uh, yeah <laughs> that's great so so are there any things that you would suggest you know to, to someone who's looking to integrate, you know, some type of an SAP system or anything like that. Is there anything that you would suggest to people to, you know, sort of gather this or organize this before they reach out to, you know, a company such as yourselves? Is there any type of pre-work or anything like that that they, you know, kind of align themselves with so, to make sure that they're in the right framework or mindset or whatever it is to be able to, to have a successful, you know, transition into, into the new platform? I think the biggest deal is they just need to have uh, acceptance from the different communities that they're going to be getting a new system. We did a, a project a long time ago. Project went well, but again, it was driven. This one was driven by finance and IT, and not the plant. We started rolling out to the plant. At this company, plant managers had a huge amount of power, and they did not like the solution. 
Yeah. And so there was a lot of pushback, but they were never bought in. Initially, we tried to involve them in the project. They didn't want to be involved. And that was probably a red flag from the beginning that that was the, the acceptance was not going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever had a, a situation where one department basically railroaded an entire project because they wouldn't accept it? Yeah. In that case, that one right there. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably one of the few cases we've had on that. Instance. Yeah. Interesting. And and what was it that, you know, about it that they didn't like? I mean, was it exposing some of the things that they like to try to sweep under the rug? And, and that's what happens with any type of, you know, good ERP platform, whether it's SAP or something else is integrated systems like that don't allow you to hide as much stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I was sitting on a plane one time going to Chicago and I'm talking to the guy sitting next to me and he asked me who I work for. And I told him, he goes, you know what? You cost me a lot of money last year. And I said, why? He goes, well, I sell oil and gas products. And he named off some of his big clients. And one of the big clients had just went live on SAP yeah, and had gotten a global inventory and understood what they had in inventory and didn't need to buy as much from him. Yeah. So his commission check dropped because yeah. they now finally had a view into their global inventory for the first time. So, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, so I, I assume that there are certain you know, business units that, you know, are always going to push back on systems like this because you know, there is something that is going to be uncovered. Um, any yeah. tips, I guess you can say if, you know, if you're in a, a, a company or a situation where you're trying to get this through, but there's sort of this, this roadblock, this wall, you know, for one department, anything that you've been able to, to gather over the years with your experience to be able to, you know, chip away at what that, at that wall to, to be able to bring it down? You've got to involve them early on in the in the software selection process. I mean, the way I got into SAP is I was brought in as an independent to a client to help them through a software selection process. And this is back in the early 90s. And we were went through several deals, but we had every department involved. And, and all we did was guide them through the process. And they actually made the decision. And we had a real high acceptance rate at that client, even though it wasn't a client that was that the departments always worked real well together, mm -hmm. but people just want, I think that people just want to know that their voice is being heard yeah, and then see how it can benefit them. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got issues where people are really pushing back, I hate to say it, but sometimes you have to wonder if there's a reason they're pushing back. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we took, we took, we rolled out to some plants at one company and I won't mention names obviously, but as we rolled out to one plant, we found out there was some, a lot of fraud going on at that plant because now they had views into that plant and um, yeah. what was happening at the plant. Yeah, yeah. And, and I assume you had a lot of pushback from that plant originally? Well, fortunately, that was a little bitty plant. I mean, it was, it really had like three people there. Okay. So I don't even think they knew they were getting it. It just kind of got dumped into them. Yeah. It was actually a distribution plant. They didn't do a lot of manufacturing there, but... The amount of fraud there based on the amount of revenue they produced was pretty high. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they were strip they were stripping down product and selling parts on the side, essentially what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. If if people want to learn more about you, your company, or you know, even even you know, this process that they would necessarily go through. Um, I know you mentioned that you produce a lot of white papers and a lot of, you know, you know, research and, and information for the customers. What would be the best way to, to reach out and get some of that information or, you know, learn more about that? 
Yeah, so our website, TitanConsulting.net, there's a the tab on there called Thought Leadership that breaks down into digital transformation into, uh, there's sections on Mendex, there's sections on project management, and there's probably uh, over 100 different white papers out there with different stuff. And then obviously I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, although I don't really use Facebook for business, but I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Excellent, excellent. My my Twitter is going to be more sports stuff. I'm from you're a sports fan. My, well, I've coached for I've I've done youth I've coached youth sports for probably fifty seasons. Oh wow! Um, so wow. I've got kids that I've coached not due to me, but because of their talent that are playing in colleges. Some that are playing in uh, minor leagues now. Yeah, very and then, cool. And then my both my oldest boys, my oldest boy played college football. My middle son plays college baseball now, and then I've got a, a boy in high school that plays high school football and baseball. Very cool. Are you, so are those the two sports that you that you coach, football and baseball? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Warren, this has been fun. I, uh, I'm i impressed with everything that, that you've you know, put together here, and you know, obviously you've done very, very well uh, being able to, to grow the company with your partners there, so... Yeah, this is this is interesting stuff, and it's I know it's always uh, it's uh, change is always hard. It's always a challenge, but it seems like you've you've know, been able to navigate that and and be very very successful with you know bringing that change to to customers and to clients. So, well, and I think you know the the changes we're seeing out of COVID obviously are consultants aren't traveling, mm-hmm. uh, but that's actually I think allowing clients to get better consultants because you know if you're a client, give an example if you're in. Des Moines, Iowa, Des Moines, where we have a mm-hmm. couple clients, getting client, getting consultants. There's probably not a, local, a lot of local talent there to, if you're wanting very specific skills. Yeah. So to get very specific skills, you're going to have to have, you know, historically we've had to have people fly in. Well, that increased your cost, obviously, yeah. to pay for travel. Well, now, you know, we've shown, the industry's shown that they can be productive remote. Yeah. So now that, you know, I've got a consultant that lives in Canada who's working on projects that, you know, he's kind of a remote area of Canada and he's been able to contribute and be productive on projects. Yeah. Do you, do you ever think it'll go back? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there'll probably be a certain amount of travel, you know, in-person travel, but do you ever think that it'll go back to, you know, as much as what it was prior to COVID? So or, we've I, seen, yeah, we've seen on all that stuff that, you know, the, like coming out of 9-11, before 9-11, people were traveling five days a week. You know, yeah. you flew in Sunday night, flew out Friday night. After 9-11, once they started traveling, it was four-day weeks typically with Friday yeah. being remote. I think we're going to see that eventually they're going to want consultants back on site, at least part-time. Yeah. I don't know that you're ever going to see them. Most clients aren't going to want them on full-time. And, and it's going to be interesting when, when you do have clients that say they want that, it's going to restrict their pool of available consultants because yeah, as long sure. as the, the supply or the consultants, which right now supply is very tight yeah, and they can pick and choose their jobs, you know, if they don't want to travel. They don't have to travel. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. It exactly. may be tough to get people to come in on site. Yeah. And any, I guess, any insight into determining what would be the best course to, to have a successful outcome, you know, if you're a company that's looking for t- some type of digital transformation com- or a project to be integrated, how, how often do people need to, to actually, you know, truly be there? I mean, is it something that, you know, 
it could be every couple of weeks that they come in or is it is it really required you know to, to be there you know multiple days a week no i think most of these you know you need somebody there to like we're doing some now and i was talking to the guy that heads up the mendex practice for me and he's like you know i could really do a much better job i could be there at kickoff yeah you know for a few days there to kick off this project and then as they're starting to do prototypes and rolling stuff out be there also i, I don't think because so many of these projects now are multi uh, across multiple locations i yeah. mean we had several years ago we were doing a, a lot of work for a huge client up in minnesota they're a fortune probably 20 client yeah. up in minnesota and we had consultants flying up there every week and the manager finally said you know i don't know why they're flying up here they're not even working from any with anybody from here they fly up here and they're on the phone with people all over the u.s but they're not yeah. working with, so we we're good with them just coming in one week a month yeah yeah and it saved the client money yeah it gave a better quality of life for the consultant yeah and probably sure. allowed them to be a lot more productive because they're not spending you know five hours a week yeah, traveling. traveling yeah yeah which travel is never any fun <laughs> no people that say that haven't traveled right exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly warren this has been fantastic i certainly appreciate the time thanks for being on the show and yep. uh I look forward to uh, hearing more from, from the company and seeing what else you guys come up with in the future. Okay, appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.